Welcome to Southridge. How are you doing this morning? All right. Excellent. Great to have you. Excited to have you here. It's going to be a fantastic day. Looking forward to what God has for us in store. Thank you for coming, making the trip over. Man, I just got to say, you guys look amazing. Like, some of you, I didn't know you could look this good. Like, really, really. I mean, if that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. Get over it, all right? But you guys just look awesome. Excited to have you here. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to start in Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23. And uh, if you, I hope you grabbed a worship guide on your way in or a cup of coffee or a water, uh, water bottle. We're excited to have you here. If you didn't bring your Bible, it's not a big deal. The words will be up on the screen, so it's all right. Just glad that you are here. It's going to be a great time together as we celebrate Easter Sunday. I'm looking forward to all that God has for us. And you guys made an amazing decision. Tell the person next to you, you guys are so smart. You're just so smart. Just touch the person and tell them, you're so smart. And they're probably thinking, why are they so smart? And you tell them, because you're sitting by me. You're sitting by me. That's why you're smart. You're sitting by me. You're sitting by me. You made a very good decision this morning. All right. It's church, but we can relax a little bit. Some of you seem a little bit too uptight. All right. I mean, you know, you just need to relax a little bit. It's church. We're going to enjoy ourselves. It's okay to have fun. We're in a movie theater for a reason, y'all. So it's okay to just kind of relax a little bit. We're just honored and thrilled that you would be here. Well, this morning I've got a message that I'm I'm pretty excited to bring to you. I'm looking forward to what God's going to uh, speak to us in our hearts this morning. Looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. And uh, I need your help this morning. I need your help to kind of participate. You say, well, I've been up early and it's been a long weekend. I mean, I helped drop 25,000 Easter eggs out of a hot air balloon. I was out in the sun. And um, uh, speaking of which, yesterday I was out there and I was having dinner with Jane last night and she looks over at me and I get really red. Like um, I'm out in the sun for five minutes. I turn bright red and then I peel and then I go back to being white, white, just really ghostly white. It's, it's really kind of scary. And she looked at me, she was like, you're not going to look that red tomorrow, are you? And I was like, this is white people problems, all right? You just don't understand what we go through, you know? I had the farmer's tan going on from yesterday. I mean, it was just bad, all right? It was bad. But we're glad that you are here. Uh, Luke chapter number 23. Can we all stand out of respect for the word of God? We're going to read just a few verses. I promise I won't have you standing long, okay? Luke chapter number 23. Let's pick it up in verse number 39. And here's the passage. L- little background, okay? So this week is what we would call Passover week, okay? And we're coming to the conclusion, Sunday, the triumphal uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. He explodes on the scene, and uh, he conquers death. He conquers hell for you, for me. And this is that that, that awesome moment we're about about to experience after that. But prior to that, we had Jesus going to the cross, and that tragedy, and all that took place up to the cross. And we see him leading to the cross, but Jesus was not alone when he died on that cross, And we're going to pick it up in chapter 23, verse 39, and we're going to kind of look at who else was with him on those crosses that day. Verse number 39, the Bible says, And one of the criminals who was hanging blasphemed him, saying, If you really are, if you are the Christ, save yourself. And then he adds, and us, by the way. I mean, if you really are so powerful, hey, get us out of this situation. I don't know about you, but sometimes we look at the criminal and we think, well, that's such a selfish prayer. I can't believe they would pray that. Can I tell you something? I think I've prayed the exact same prayer. Like, God, if you're so powerful, get me out of debt. Okay, that doesn't resonate with you guys. God, if you're so powerful, why don't I have a girlfriend? You know, or God, if you're so powerful, why don't I have a job? God, if you're so great, how come my life is so screwed up? Do you feel me yet? See, we all pray these prayers. Let's not just look at the thief on the cross and just think, oh, this guy, he's an idiot. He's so messed up. Does he not know who's next to you? No, let's, let's put ourselves in the story for a moment. I think we all would be tempted to say that. 
hey, if you really are God, if you really did create the world in six days, if you really did uh, raise the dead to life, give uh, sight to the blind, if you really did give hearing to the deaf and split the Red Sea, if you really did all those things, come on, finding me a job should be a piece of cake. Blink of an eye. Hey, helping me with my marriage should just be like that, God. You wouldn't even have to work as hard as creating the universe. So why is everything so difficult? This is that thief. Let's continue reading. In verse number 40, the Bible says, but the other rebuked him. There was two criminals that day. There was one who just angry, upset, and why wouldn't he be? He's, he's literally dying. He's hanging on the cross. Romans in that day and age had perfected torture. They had perfected the means of execution. And they wouldn't just execute you with a quick death. They knew how to prolong your suffering. They knew how to make that, that death take hours and hours, maybe even up to days for you to slowly die. So you felt every little painful moment. So they're going through a lot. But here's the other, the other criminal. And he says, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Seeing you are under the same sentence. And we indeed justly, he's saying, hey, we did this. We deserve what, we're do, what we did. For we receive for the reward due our deeds. But this man, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I believe more than anything else that there are certain realizations that take place in our life that lead to a whole new reality. There are these moments in our lives that just change everything. And until we have those realizations, our reality just stays the same. So my heartbeat, my desire for you to this morning is that you have a greater realization that something just kind of unlocks for you. Do you remember the day when, let's go back for a little bit, when you were doing just regular old math, you were doing multiplication, all of a sudden you hit algebra, where they started throwing letters and numbers together, and you're like, for real? Like, I just barely got the numbers down. Now, now, now letters are numbers, and they have different values. I mean, and then you got it, and you're like, oh, it makes perfect sense. And if it does, can you meet me after and help me out? I mean, I'm still kind of just kidding. No, I'm not. And uh, so you know, there's these realizations. Or here, here's this one. For me, it was in August. It was 2005, 6 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And I'm walking on a college campus that I attended. It was quiet. It was still. Nobody was up. It's Saturday. We're in college. Of course, it's just dead. Except for one person who was out there jogging. And that one person was the person. Her name was Jane. Man, she was running, and I just looked over, and her hair was doing that really cool shampoo commercial thing as she was running, and it was like the clouds just kind of parted, and it was like God just shone light down on her, and I thought I could swear I heard angels angels just like singing, and the voice of God, and then like the doves flying behind her and everything as she's running in slow motion. It was slow motion, y'all, and it was like Michael Bay was blowing up stuff behind her and everything, and it was awesome, and it was just like she passed by me. And I barely got the words out high. And I was just like totally smitten. I was just like, oh, I hope I wasn't drooling. You'll have to ask her. I was just like, wow, she's amazing. You know, she just ran by, said hi and everything. And I kid you not, that was the moment I knew. I'm going to marry that girl. It was a realization that changed my whole reality. 
I'll take you another day before I have you sit down. It was June 14th, a little after midnight. We had been in labor for probably about, I say we, excuse me, like I had a hard part in this, you know. So Jane had been in labor for about 12, 14 hours, a little after midnight. And all of a sudden, I hold my little baby girl in my arms for the first time. And it was that sudden realization when I held her that I would do anything for this girl. I mean, I will murder any boy that tries to touch him. I am not afraid of prison. I mean, it was just like, I have no fear. I will start a prison ministry. I will preach in prison. Come on, feel me. Don't mess with me. I'm serious. But it was at that moment, that realization, it affected my entire reality. And this morning, my desire is just like that criminal on the cross. He's hanging there, and all of a sudden, he has this realization. Don't you know who this is? Don't you know how much power he has? Yeah, he's hanging here with us, but not because of what we've done. He's hanging here for another reason. And it was at that moment he had this realization to say, this is the Lord. And then that realization led to a whole new reality. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a seat. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you would use this message. I pray that you would speak to hearts in the few minutes that we have. Lord, we love you. Thank you for dying on a cross, but thank you for triumphing over death. Thank you for overcoming what overcomes us. I pray right now that you would do a great work in hearts and lives. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you're seated, would you touch your neighbor one more time and say, Happy Easter. Touch your neighbor one more time. Say, Happy Easter. It's okay. We're a friendly church. We're a friendly church. I told you that if anybody ever tried to mess with my little girl, I will go crazy on them. I saw this sign that kind of fits it perfectly. It was an application to date my daughter. The first part of the application said you have to get a job. I like that. If you're going to date my daughter, you get a job. Also, if you lie to me, I will find out. I like this other one. I can make you go away. Also, I like this one. It says, understand right from the get-go. I don't like you. That's just what her boyfriend needs to know. I just don't like you. This one's really good. You hurt her, I hurt you. And the last one, whatever you do to her, I'm going to do to you. Whatever you do. See, you choose carefully what you're going to do. All right, welcome to Southridge. I'm glad you're here. Let me go to one more passage as we kind of get some more context of this passage. So in this passage, we're seeing here's these criminals on the cross. They're dying. There's a realization that leads to a new reality. And it's a deep realization that forever changed his reality. Not just there in that moment, but then forever it changed it. There's another man. His name was Thomas. Some of us have heard about Thomas. Some of us use the cliche about Thomas that he was doubting Thomas. In John chapter number 20, verse 24, the Bible says, Now Thomas called the twin. Thomas, he had... Everybody else had, had, had seen the resurrected Jesus in the upper room. But Thomas wasn't there. We're going to pick up the story. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see him and the print of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And it's at that moment, everybody just kind of uh, labeled Thomas like, how could you not believe? You followed Jesus for how long? You were one of the disciples. Why is it now that you're just saying like, you don't believe in Jesus anymore? How could you do that? How could you just walk away? And once again, like the criminal on the cross, I find myself in Thomas's shoes. Because there's been some times where I've been tempted to doubt. 
where I've been tempted to say, I don't know if that's true anymore. I don't know because my reality is so discouraging or so distraught that I don't know if I could truly believe that anymore. I mean, really, God? I mean, you really can save me? You really can change my situation? Then how come you haven't? So you could see why Thomas might doubt. But then I love how the passage continues. In verse 26, it says, And after eight days, after eight days, all of his friends, all of his buddies, they're talking about how they saw the resurrected Jesus. They're talking about how they broke bread with him, how he showed up in the room with them, how he was right there. They could touch him. They could talk with him. Their mentor, their spiritual father, the one that had showed them the way, the one that they had traveled with, the one that had said he would die. And three days later, he would resurrect himself. That one shows up to them. And can you imagine these disciples, these apostles? Of course, they were stoked. Of course, they were excited. But then imagine Thomas. Thomas is like, all my friends are talking about something. All my friends are experiencing something, but I'm not. And the Bible says he went like that for eight days. Eight days. And then the Bible says after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, here we're going to have a realization that leads to a new reality. My Lord and my God. All throughout the Gospels, you can look at great statements made by the followers of Jesus. They made some incredible statements. But no statement ever can quite climax Thomas's statement. Thomas is saying, literally, he's saying, hey, I was once this doubter. I was once a skeptic. I was once on the fence. But once I saw you, then I believed and I knew that you were my Lord and my God. The Bible says that Thomas' name, they would call him Didymus, is one, one, um, one name that people maybe refer to him by. But Didymus and Thomas both mean the same thing. They both mean twin. Here's the thing, as I was studying this week, Thomas didn't actually have a twin brother, Justin. He didn't. So why would you name him a twin if he didn't have a twin brother? Like, why would you just use that word association? Because the Bible does something, or back then in that day and age, they would do something. Your name represented a lot of your character traits. So if you're kind of, uh, how shall we say it, grumpy, then you would have a name similar to grumpy. If you were dopey, you would have a name similar to dopey. Help me out with the other dwarfs. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how they would name you, all right? So Thomas named twin, though, that's, eh, that's different, right? Twin, like what's up with that? Twin has to do not so much with two people, but two personalities. Two personalities. One moment he's on the fence. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. If you remember when uh, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, it was Thomas who spoke up and said, hey, let's go with Jesus. Even if we're going to die, let's go with him. That was him. One moment he's bold. One minute he's on fire. The next moment. I'm not going to believe in him. I'm done. Did you see him die? I saw him die. I saw a Roman take a spear and shove it into his side, piercing his heart. Blood and water flowed out. I saw him. He was dead. I saw him as they took him down. I saw Joseph of Arimathea, and I saw Nicodemus take him. They bound his body. They placed him in a grave, and I saw it happen. I saw him put the the stone on the grave. You can't tell me he's alive. And at that moment... He started to doubt. Maybe that's where you are. You're saying there was a time, man, I was was right there. Man, I used to love God. I used to worship God. 
I used to go to church more often than I go to church now. I used to know those songs. I, I used to be up here singing. Or I used to be up there serving. I used to be doing something in church. But now, now I kind of relate to Thomas. And I think we all can relate to Thomas and his personality issues. But then he has this realization that changes his reality. So let's deal with this this morning in the moments that we have together. How can you and I have a realization change that forever changes our reality? Because that's what we need, isn't it? I go to the gym and I like the gym that I go to. And the coach, he's constantly telling us, he's like, hey, if you don't get here, I can't help change your life. I can't see any change made if you're not here. I often feel the same way about church. If you're not here, then we can't help you change your life. But take it a step further. If you're not in God's word, if you're not in fellowship with God, then he can't change your life. You need to take that time so you can have those deep realizations on your own so that he can affect your realities. You'll be amazed what God can do when you give him a chance. You'll be amazed what God can do when you step into a situation. You say, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know how I'm going to figure this all out. But God's got it all together. He knows the beginning from the end. He's got it all laid out for you. And so how can we have this deep realization? Let's look at this thief one more time. He's dying on the cross. In John chapter 19, though. I see this amazing passage. Here he is. He's dying. But then he's, he's literally the worst day of his life, right? This is the worst day. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than the day that you're dying, right? I mean, this is just pretty bad. But it's not like, hey, I got to plan it out. I got everything all set. And I know I'm dying and it's comfortable. It's peaceful. I got my will and everything's set and I'm ready to go. No, this is, hey, you're a criminal. This is going to be slow. This is going to be agonizing. This is going to be humiliating. This is going to be the worst experience you've ever had that's going about to happen to you. And it's at this moment, these, these criminals, that's what they're going through. Just like Jesus bore the stripes on his back, the whips on his back, just like Jesus had to carry the cross, these criminals carried their crosses. These criminals, just like Jesus, had the same nails that went through their hands and their feet. It's a horrible day. But as I was reading John chapter number 19, and let me give you a little context. The Bible says, then he had handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. He went out carrying his own cross to a place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side. And Jesus, verse number 18 says, was in the middle. They crucified Jesus, but Jesus is in the middle. That word in the middle jumped out to me. It jumped out to me because it helped me to realize that no matter what I'm in the middle of, guess who's in the middle of that? Jesus. Here these guys are going through the worst day of their life, but who's in the middle? Who's center stage? Who's front and center? Who's going through it with them? Jesus. So I don't know what you're in the middle of this morning, but Jesus is in the middle of that. I don't know if where the relationship's at, if it's not a good place. I don't know if your life spiritually is not exactly where you want it to be, or maybe your job's not exactly where you want it to be. But I'm here to tell you, just like this dying criminal, that even at the worst moment, there is Jesus in the middle of that circumstance. And he shows up in our most desperate hour, most desperate need. But here's what's happened. There's the realization. What happens in the life of this thief? At that moment, he looks over and he says, here's Jesus. He's going through this with me. And then at that moment, he says, hey, this, this guy, he's not just a normal guy. This is Jesus. And then he tells Jesus. He asks him a question. Will you remember me this day? Will you remember me? And Jesus says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today, you're not going to have to wait long. 
It's going to be today. You know what this reminds me of? That it's never too late. It's never too late. I mean, this guy literally, he waited up to the last minute, didn't he? I mean, he had who knows how long to get things right with Jesus. But at the very last minute, he still has time and it's never too late. This should be a great encouragement to many of us. Maybe for a long time, you've kind of done your own thing. Maybe for a long time, you've maybe walked away from God. Maybe for a long time, you ran from God or you've been hiding from your future or hiding from maybe something in your past or hiding from something that you know God put on your life. And all of a sudden, now you're being brought back to it. And I'm here to tell you this morning, just like the criminal, here he is at the very last moment, maybe hours left to live, maybe minutes left to live. And it's at that moment he comes back. And I'm here to remind you that it's never too late. It's never too late for you. It's never too late maybe for the person you're thinking about right now that you're thinking, I don't know if they'll ever make it. I don't know if they'll ever change. I'm here to tell you it's never too late, even when it seems like it's too late. Many people would have probably seen this this criminal in jail and said, you know what? Hey, you know, you need to get things right. You need to prepare, you you know, the last rite, so to speak, before he, he goes to his execution. But maybe he turned down that opportunity. Maybe he said, no, I don't want any last rites or I don't want any prayer. And he waits literally as his body is dying on a cross. But even then, it wasn't too late. I don't believe it's any accident that any of you are here. I believe there's a reason. I think some of you need to hear that it's not too late. Maybe there's a relationship that's on the the fritz and you're thinking, it's over. It's done. It's not over. It's not finished. There's a show, I kind of watch it. Maybe you like it or maybe you've heard about it. It's called Duck Dynasty. Any Duck Dynasty fans in the house? A couple. Three of you. All right. Yes. The rest of you will not get this. So Duck Dynasty, the... The, the, the star of the show or the, the, the patriarch, his name is Phil, Phil Robertson. He's got a big mustache. That's, that's all of them do. So they all kind of look the same. And um, the amazing thing about Phil Robertson is that he was a number one college football player. Terry Bradshaw was his backup. He was that good. He was so good at football, had an amazing future. He meets a girl, and they have a baby. Kind of throws life in a tailspin, right? Not in a bad way. It was just there went his football career. So he moves kind of to Junction City, and he's living out there, and he, he kind of is subleasing a bar, and it's a rough bar. I mean, this is kind of early in the 60s, and it's, it, it, segregation was, so he would have one half would have African-American, the other half might have whites, and then he would sit right in the middle, and he would have a pistol in his belt loop, and that's just, he was a rough dude. And he said, this is my job, just kind of keep the peace in my bar. Well, one day, the owners got upset with him, and he put them both in the ICU. He was a bad man, and he was not a good man, not a God-fearing man at all. Didn't want anything to do with God. He felt like he had been cheated. He felt like he had this awesome future ahead of him, and suddenly that future was stripped from him. He could have been a pro football athlete, could have been a star, could have been famous, and all of that was gone, and now he's working in some sleazy bar and just mad at the world, mad at his wife, mad at his kids, mad at himself, just everything. After he put those uh, owners of the business in, in the ICU, he ran and lived in the woods for four months. His wife and kids, they moved back to Louisiana, and they just wanted nothing to do with him. And as I heard the story, as Willie Robertson shares it, he said, you know what? We were done with our dad. We didn't want anything to do with him. He was a mean guy, nothing good. He would cheat on his his mom. He would do all kinds of terrible things. 
had horrible addiction, just horrible problems. But then after four months, something happened. Some of his friends found him in the woods. He was, he was living in a hollowed out cypress tree. Had 104 temperature. He was just about to die. They got him to the hospital and they said, you need to go back and see your family. During that time when he had been running, a preacher from Louisiana had tried to see him and had told him some things, and, and uh, he had totally pushed that preacher away and said, don't ever come back. Well, he goes back to Louisiana, and he finds where his wife and children are, and they're terrified. They think, what is he going to do? In the parking lot, he falls to his knees just sobbing, just crying, asking his family if they could forgive him, they can take him back, because Jesus had changed his life. His life was totally different. Willie Robertson says his life's, his dad's life was so different. It wasn't like we just went to church on Sundays anymore. He was like, we went to church on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesday, Thursday. He's like, my dad made us all go to seminary. We all had to go to like a Bible college. I mean, my dad, he was a different person. He said, if Jesus can do that to my dad, he said, I know he's real. I know he's real. That if he could show up and change somebody's life when it seems like it's too late, it's never too late. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for your family. It's not too late for your friends. It's never too late. Touch the person next to you and say, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. Because I know what you're thinking. It's too late. That ship is sailed. That boat is gone. That opportunity is passed. It's never too late. It's time to continue your comeback, church. It's time that you get back to those things that you know are right. It's time to start living how you know you ought to. It's never too late, even when it might seem too late. The thief on the cross, he's proof that it's never too late. He's dying, y'all. He's dying. And it's at this moment he comes to God and has this world-changing moment. But then in that same situation, you know what's amazing? Who has the last word in that sentence? Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And we never hear from that criminal again. I love that fact. Because it reminds me that God, he has the last word over every situation. No matter what you're going through. No matter what you're experiencing. God has the last word. You don't get the last word. Your boss doesn't get the last word. The situation doesn't get the last word. The enemy does not get the last word. God gets the last word. He has the only word that matters. It was his word that created this world. It was his word that spoke the world into existence. It was his word that changed everything. And maybe for you and I, we wish we had the words to adequately describe him. See, if there were words for him, then I don't have them. It's for my brain has not yet reached a point that could adequately describe him. The greatness of my God. And my lungs have not developed the ability to release a breath enough agility to breathe the greatness of his love. My voice, you see my voice, is so inhibited and restrained by human limits. It's hard to even send a praise. Up, You see, there are words for him, but I don't have them. My God has grace remarkable, mercy innumerable, strength impenetrable. He's honorable. He's accountable. He's favorable. He's unsearchable, yet he's knowable. He's indefinable, yet approachable. He's indescribable, yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations. He's the king of every nation. But if there are words for him, I don't have them. You see, my words are few, and I try to capture the one true God. Using my vocabulary will never do. But I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a Savior. A Savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise. So I use words. 
My heart extols the Lord. Bless his name. Forever he has won my heart, captured my mind. He has bound them both together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin. He has welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me. He has made me himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercy in the morning and grace in the night. You see, if I have words, I would use them. But my words are not accurate. But what I do have is good news. For God knew that my words would never do. For words are just tools that we use to point to the truth that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word, the living word, the truth, the life, and the way. He is the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. By his word sustains and powers of his name. For he is before all things, and over all things he reigns. He is holy his name is praise in him is life the life the truth and the way he is preserved and strived the humble son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice praise him for his death for that he willingly stood in our place that he lovingly endured the grave and battled our enemy and on the third day he rose in victory church that's our God that's our God he is above every word And you and I, we're looking for words to describe him, but we don't need words. We have our heart. And God wants to speak to you. And this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But I'm trying to tell you, it's never too late this morning, church. It's never too late. But then you see this doubting Thomas. And you're saying, yeah, but what about him? I get that it's never too late. But what about the next part? I need you to understand from Thomas, we realize that you're never too far gone. Like Thomas, he had said, I don't believe. He said, I'm done. It wasn't just I don't believe. It was I quit. I give up. I walk away. I want a new life. I want a new start. I want something different. I want that past to be put behind me. I don't want to ever see it again. I don't want to ever be that again. I want something totally brand new. And it's even Thomas who, in spite of his own, his own name, who said twin personalities. One was bold. The other was passive. The other was doubting. Even Thomas, it was him who still said, my Lord and my God. Is even Thomas that realized that God wants to change us completely. And you're never too far gone. I don't know where you're at. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I shouldn't be in church. This place should be burning down right now just because I'm in it. Do you know what I did last night? Do you know what I did last week? Do you know what I've been through? Do you know what I've experienced? I don't want anybody touching me because you might get some of it on you. I don't want you to be infected by what I've got. I'm here to tell you, we're all screwed up. We all have sin issues. We all got things in our life we're not proud of. But here, let me tell you something that somebody wisely told me. Don't trip over things that are in the past. Only a fool trips over his past. Don't look at the past and make that your present. Don't look at the past and make it your future. It's behind you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're a new creature in Christ. So why are you keep going back to the past? I need you to understand that your future is bright, that there is a heaven that is sure. I need you to see that God is trying to get you to realize that you're never too far gone and it's never too late, church. It's never too late. Too often... We just get stopped in this flow where we just think, I don't know, maybe it's time to stop and and quit and give up. But it's never too late. You're never too far gone. You need to continue your comeback this morning. Don't give up. Don't quit. I know Thomas, it says for eight days. For eight days, he didn't get to see Jesus. For eight days. He was stuck between a promise and the proof. You ever been there? God promised you something and you're still waiting on the proof. I love the fact that scripture tells us eight days. 
Some of you Bible scholars, you, you uh, theologians out there in the crowd, you may understand that, they, that eight is the number of new beginnings. Eight days. All of a sudden, he's about to have a new beginning, but it's going to take eight long days. It's going to take eight days of waiting. Have you ever felt like the longer you wait, the greater the wait? Let me explain it. The longer you wait, W-A-I-T, makes the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, feel heavier, doesn't it? The longer you're waiting on that job, the longer you're waiting on that person, it just seems like that burden is crushing you. It just feels like it's just there. It just feels like, God, where are you in this situation? But did you catch, just like the Bible said that the thief and and he was on those two crosses, but Jesus was in the middle of that. Did you not catch something that happened in the passage where Jesus shows up? The Bible says that eight days later, there's Thomas. He's in this upper room. And then the Bible says that Jesus showed up in the, Anybody got to guess where he showed up? In the middle. In the midst of them. The middle. Some of you are like, I'm doubting. I'm going through this. And God, I, I get it. I'm not necessarily like dying here, but it's a difficult situation. Here's Thomas. He's not dying like a thief, but he's doubting. And Jesus still shows up in the middle of that situation. So you may be here thinking, oh, I don't know if I could ever turn my life around. I don't, I don't have a, a big enough things or I don't deserve it. You know, sometimes we feel like, well, Lord, you know, I, I get that you would be with me when, when maybe um, things don't go my way or maybe when I turn away from you. I, I get that, God. But, I, but, Lord, you're not with me when I mess up, when I do something wrong. Then, then, then God, you, you're, not, you're not there. And I know some of us feel like that. Like, you're probably like me. You do some stupid stuff. You're probably like me. You do some things that you're not always proud of. You're probably like me where there's some things that happen in your life you're a little bit ashamed of. You're probably like me that there's been a weekend or there's been a party or there's been something at your job that you've done that you're not too proud of. And all of a sudden, that kind of comes back to haunt you. And now you're wearing that weight. You're wearing that guilt. And I'm here to tell you that even though you may have done some dumb things, even though you may have done some wrong things, Jesus still shows up in the middle. Hey, the guy was a criminal, meaning he had done some bad things, and God still showed up, all right? Thomas just doubted, and Jesus still showed up. So even the person that did something that we would call a gray area, and somebody who, yeah, man, dude, you deserve that. You're dying on the cross for a reason. You're a bad dude. Jesus showed up in both of their life. So I don't know what extreme you're at this morning. You say, I'm somewhere in the middle, all right? I don't know where you're at, but Jesus still shows up in the middle. And don't, don't hold yourself captive. Don't hold yourself like, well, I'm not a good enough person for Jesus to show up in your, your life. Guess what? Just because I have this mic, just because I have a title that says pastor does not mean I'm a better Christian than you. Sometimes far from it. Anybody that goes to the gym with me would realize that there are some times that, hey, I don't know if his speech is always sanctified. All right. Come on, church. We're all people here. Just because you have a title, just because you grew up in the church, understand that God shows up in your situation just like he'll show up in anybody's situation. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, I've done so many stupid things. God, why would you ever forgive me? God, why would you ever step in? It's not because of you why he does it. It's because of his love. He shows up. His love compels him to step into that situation. Hey, best way I can illustrate is I'm a parent. My kids are far from perfect. But there's not a thing I wouldn't do for them. Not a thing. My kids, I know one day are going to hurt me. 
I know one day they're going to do something stupid. I know one day something's going to happen. Car's going to get wrecked. Something's going to go wrong. House is going to catch on fire. I know something's going on. My boy Austin is into everything. I'm just, it's going to happen one of these days. And even then, I'm still going to run to his rescue. Because I'm a father. It's what a father does. Your heavenly father will always run to your rescue. So stop feeling so guilty. Stop feeling like I'm not good enough for God to love me. None of us are good enough for him to love us. It's never based on our goodness. Hey, get me church. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people do. Good people don't go to heaven. Only forgiven people do. And if you're sitting here this morning feeling like you've got to earn something, stop. Stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to work for it. You can't. You could try and start from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean and crawl on your hands and knees on glass, and it still wouldn't be enough to earn your father's love because he'll never love you anymore, and he'll never love you any less. So stop trying to earn this love. Stop trying to think that, oh, I could, I would want to make a comeback, but it's just too late. Here's Thomas. He's stuck between the promise and the proof. And all of a sudden, even in that moment, even though he was stuck, God still shows up in the middle and he'll show up in the middle of your situation. He always shows up in the middle. Why? Because God has a plan and Thomas had a part. And I'm here to tell you that God has a plan and you have a part in his plan. You say, what happened to Thomas? History tells us, the Bible doesn't, but history tells us that Thomas, he goes to the country of India and in India, he starts preaching the gospel. He starts telling people about Jesus. And you can go to parts of India today where there are still remnants of churches that Thomas started. Thomas, he died because somebody confronted him and said, hey, you need to give up your faith. And he said, I would rather die than give up my faith. And history records that right then in that moment, they took a spear and they killed Thomas. He was a martyr. He died for his faith. Why? Because he believed in it. Something had happened. There was a realization that changed his entire reality. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to do something through your life. Lastly and finally, though, we said it's, you're never too, it's never too late. You're never too far gone. But here's the third one. You can't lose what you never had. You say, what? Can't lose what you never had? Of course not. This morning when I got up, I didn't walk to the garage, open it up, and I wasn't all upset that my Aston Martin was missing. Didn't bum me out, didn't call the police, didn't freak out, didn't wake up Austin Megan and say, what did you guys do with my car? Did you drive it, Megan? Did you do it? Come on, where are the keys? What were you doing? What are these bottles? No, I'm just kidding. She's a wild child, man, I'm telling you what. They were milk bottles. What kind of bottles? Y'all minds are, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. All right? Man, people need to go to church. No, I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad that my Aston Martin was missing. You say, why? Because I don't own an Aston Martin. Now, if you do, please give me a ride. I'd love to smell some Aston Martin air, okay? I mean, just something about it. Please, I would love to ride an Aston Martin. But for some of you, you're sitting here. And you're saying, what do you mean? I still don't get it. You can't lose what you never had. Let me give you a little background on my story. For a long time, I grew up, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. I was born in Santa Clara. My dad worked at a church in Santa Clara. And then we moved to Fresno. My dad was a pastor there. My dad's still a pastor. Everywhere he goes, he's just kind of a pastor. He's, you know, he just kind of grew up with it, right? Can I tell you, until I was 14, I just thought I was going to heaven because my dad's a pastor. I was like, he's a good guy, so I'm a good guy, right? Like, I'm just going to go with him. 
Like, just like when we went to Hometown Buffet. I'm with him. I don't need to pay. Don't you look at me like that. I'm with him. Everywhere we go. Even now, I try to, like, go with him. Like, I'm with him. My, my tab, it's on his. He's paying for me. Still doesn't work, though. I try. It doesn't work. Megan Austin go for money, and then I line up for money, and hey, he just laughs. Slaps me and laughs. And... Uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, where, where so often we just feel like, like, like maybe I did where I just felt, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to make it because I'm a good person. There's another character who betrayed Jesus. His name was Judas. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of speculation about Judas. The Bible said he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. The Bible says that Jesus looked at Judas and said, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Because Jesus knew everything that Judas was going to do. He knew that at that moment, Satan had entered into Judas, that Judas was going to betray Jesus. He knew what was about to happen. And Judas betrays him. The Bible says that Judas, they thought was a Christian, that Judas was the one that looked the best, acted the best, that one that they thought, hey, he's got it. He'll be the next great mega church pastor, Judas. It's going to be him. It's gonna, he's going to do a great job. I mean, the guy's got fiscal responsibility. I mean, the guy just understands the community. He just wants to help the poor. I mean, he's always right there just trying to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to, keeping everybody in line. He's going to be a great leader. It's him who in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 18, hangs himself because of the guilt. And he commits suicide. Scripture tells us that he was not saved. See, you can't lose something you never had. See, if you never had Jesus, you can't lose Jesus. There's a lot of people today, oh, I got Jesus. I'm afraid today what a lot of people have is a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge. Hey, I can know a lot about you in my head, but I don't really know you. Hey, a lot of you, you know Jane, you talk to Jane, you may know some stuff, but I know Jane. I know her. You see, there's a difference between having a head knowledge. You may be able to quote all 66 books of the Bible. Hey, you may have Bible memorized. You may know more than me. You may be able to preach, sing, do whatever better than me, but that's worthless if you don't know Jesus. And this morning, the whole entire Crux's message is that it is never too late. You're never too far gone, but you can never lose what you don't have. So the question this morning is, do you have Jesus in your heart and soul? This is not something you just fake it. It's not just something you pretend. It's not something you just kind of, well, I hope so. This Easter, it's all about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the life-giving of Jesus Christ. And he came to die, but then he came and he rose again so that you and I could have eternal life. But the question this morning remains, do you know him? Is he your Lord and Savior? You say, well, I was baptized one time. Can I ask you a question? Was that thief baptized? The answer is no. You could say no. That's all right. Now you know. You say, well, I go to church. Did that thief go to church? I read my Bible. Did that thief read his Bible? But let me ask you this. Did the thief still go to heaven? And he didn't do any of those things. So it helps us to realize that we could do all those things and still not go to heaven. And that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Then you could show up on an Easter Sunday. 
That you could sit there for 45 minutes. And you could give me 45 minutes of your time. Which for some of you is very difficult for you to do. I mean, that phone is calling for your attention. You're just like, it's, I'm drawn to it. I just, I just have to look. And then your spouse is like, don't look at your phone. And you've got like white knuckle claw marks in your hand because you're trying not to check. What is my team doing right now? I must just check. And it's in a moment like this where I've got to ask you the question. Is Jesus Christ in your heart? Or do you just have a head knowledge? Hey, you can know the facts about something, but until you know something, it changes everything. I talk about the gym a lot. I talk about the gym too much. Last one. I go to the gym, and I see other people, and they can be smaller than me, but they may have been going to the gym longer than me. And I'm, I'm telling you, they may not be all that big looking, and I'll watch them step up to a bar with a ton of weight, and I'm like, that's not going to happen. What? And they'll step up there, and man, they will lift that thing up, and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, they're juicing. They're on something. Steroids. Come on. GH, whatever. Check them. Uh, urine sample. Like, get it now. Like, what is up with this person? Like, you and Armstrong, like, buddies? I mean, what's going on, you know? And then they'll say, no, no, no. It's not that I'm on something. It's that I know the technique. The tech what? The technique. You say, well, what was the technique? They say, see, Makai, your problem is you always try to muscle it. You're always trying to do it on your own. And so you're always just like, I could just get this. I'll just do it on my own. I just muscle this thing. I said, but if you get the technique, and if you learn to engage all these other muscles that are in your body, what are the muscles in my body? Like, I got guns. That's what I have, right? That's it, right? Those are the major muscle groups. They're like, no, no, no. You got deltoids, flap toys, and all kinds of doids. I mean, they're just there, and you're not using none of them. And I'm just like, well, I just want my t-shirts to be tight. Like, like, that's why I buy smaller clothes. Like, I don't get bigger. I just buy smaller clothes. Come on, don't look at me like that. You hateful, judgmental people. Man, I'm at church. I thought this was a judgment-free zone. My goodness. But they said, Micaiah, if you'll just get the technique down, that weight will be so much easier because you're working together. It's just like when a couple people lift a heavy weight together, it's easy. They said, when you got all the muscles working together, so much easier. Some of you are trying to muscle this Christian life thing. It's like, oh, I'm just trying to resist temptation. I'm just trying to do right. I'm just trying to go to church. And you get to church and you hate it and we hate you. I mean, well, we, we, just, we just don't like your attitude. How about that? Is the pastor allowed to say hate? I don't know if he is. Y'all like, I'm not coming back to that church. Dude, it's crazy. But you're just like, Oh, trying to muscle this thing. And I'm just stepping back just saying, it's not as hard as you make it look. Like, God wants to do this. But you need him. You got to know him. Just like when I learned the technique, all of a sudden it just happens. It's easier. When you know Jesus, it flows. It flows. You'll see things change in your job. You'll see things change in your marriage. You'll see things change in your relationship. But the question remains, do you know Jesus in your heart? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died for you. Maybe you're thinking here, well, I'm a good person and I do good works. I hope after this morning you realize that's not it. That it's you having a realization that needs to, leads to a new reality. The realization needs to be that if you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that's got to be the first thing. And we want that for you.
That's why we dropped 25,000 blue Easter eggs out of a hot air balloon. Say it was to raise money for autism. Yeah, that too. But ultimately, we wanted to get some people that would get closer to see that Christians aren't just these people that think they're better than you. They want to see change in their community, but then also in your life. That's why we meet in the mall and a theater. It's why we set up and we got here at 5.30 and 6 a.m. to set all this stuff up so we could have people have an interaction with Jesus because we know something, that if Jesus gets into your life, that that realization will change your reality. And we all need a whole new reality. Can we all stand as we close? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to call all the instrumentalists back up. If I can have all the instrumentalists come back up. You see, at this point in our service, I think some of us need to make a decision. You say, what's that? The decision is, do you have just a head knowledge of Jesus or do you know Jesus in your heart? He died for you. And this morning, I want to give some of you an opportunity to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, in him alone. Not your good works, not your church attendance. Hey, that scorecard doesn't work in heaven. You keep in score, you show up at the pearly gates, and you talk to uh, St. Peter or Paul or whoever, and show them that scorecard, it's not going to do anything. What you have to show them is that your sin has been paid for. And when you hand in that receipt, it should have stains of blood on it. Or you say, Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. That's what gets me in. I'm with Jesus. And this morning, how many would be here, you would say, you know what? I do know Jesus. I have prayed a prayer or I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And I know he is my Lord. He is my Savior. I, I identify with these characters in these passages. I am saved. And if, and if something bad were to happen next week or next year, I know where I would spend eternity. How many of you with upraised hand, you would say, I know that's for sure. You know you're going to heaven. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. You may put your hands down. There's a good lot of you that you say, yeah, I know. But then for those of you that were bravely honest, you say, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And you say, today I want to know. I want to accept Jesus Christ in my heart as my Lord and my Savior. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to make you uh, uh, do something crazy. But with everybody, eyes bowed and uh, eyes closed and heads bowed. And if you say this morning, I want to put Jesus Christ first. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you slip up your hand so I could pray for you? Is there anybody like that? I see that hand. I see that hand. That hand. That hand. Amen. Hands up all over the room. Praise God. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I want you, as I pray out loud, you pray silently. And I want you to ask Jesus Christ in your heart. And as we pray this prayer, everybody else, and you say, I know I'm going to heaven. You pray for those that are going to pray this prayer right now, okay? You pray for those. Those that are accepting Jesus Christ for the very first time. This is why we celebrate Easter. It's why we celebrate resurrection. You're the reason. You're the reason. You pray with me. Those that bravely raised their hands said, I do not know Jesus Christ. I want to put my faith and trust in him. You pray this prayer. I'll pray it aloud. You pray it silently. Dear God, thank you for dying on a cross for my sin. Thank you for shedding your blood to cover my sin. Lord, I'm sorry for running from you. And Lord, I surrender my heart and my will and my soul to you. I ask you now to come into my heart 
and to make me new. Dear Lord, thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you slip up your hand? Nobody's looking around. You prayed that prayer. Amen. Can we give a round of applause? So many people that prayed that prayer. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's what today is all about. It's what today is all about. And as we are still in the spirit of worship, I want the band to once again play forever. Can you guys play forever one more time? In the spirit of worship. In the spirit of saying, God, I'm giving my life back to you. In the spirit that says, God, you are my king. God, I love you. As band plays, one more time, would you just stay in this moment? Morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood poured out for us, the weight of every You're coming back to God in a long time. May this song be our heart's desire. Final breath he gave As heaven looked away The Son of God was laid In darkness The battle in the grave The war on death was waged The power of hell forever broken The power is broken this morning, church
church. Put your hands together and praise. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen. What a powerful service. God bless you. God bless you, church. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for coming, church.